This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. What is the federal government's responsibility to satisfying your wants? In 1941, FDR outlined one of four essential freedoms. What is freedom? Freedom of speech. At this point, free speech is nothing more than a nuisance. Freedom of worship. Wake up, Christian America. You are being mocked. Freedom from want. We would actually go in Walmart and clean ourselves up before we go to Yeah, in the bathroom. Save some money. Freedom from fear. I'll tell you what freedom is to me. No fear. Freedom from want was one of them. Far from a trivial slogan, this has bedeviled the generations of Americans who have grown up since. In the original Get Rich Quick America, is it healthy to ever not want? Gotta have more. Come on. Is there a minimum of wants that the government would guarantee and anything on top of that we would do as individuals? Been arguing about that for a long time. Is this what FDR envisioned? What would he make of this description from presidential candidate Bernie Sanders about the city of Baltimore today? Today, what we're talking about is a community in which half of the people don't have jobs. We're talking about a community in which there are hundreds of buildings that are uninhabitable. We're talking about a community where kids are unable to go to schools that are decent. Bernie Sanders on a campaign stop in Baltimore. It is a sizable nation of wants. Almost 47 million people live in the United States of wanting. 14.9% of the country is in poverty. For blacks and Hispanics, that number tops 20%. Republican presidential candidate John Kasich of Ohio describes wanting as a perpetual state in the American middle class. Say you get a family of four and they get, you know, uh, they get about 115 or 120 a week to take care of their groceries, their utilities, their, their clothing and all that. How do you get this system to work where people don't become permanently stuck? John Kasich last December. If you look at it that way, in hindsight, Medicare and Social Security don't seem to have been either as expansive or potentially damaging to the economy as was warned when they were created decades ago. But coming to an agreement on what wants people should be freed from worrying about today and what each person needs to be responsible for on his or her own today has been a complicated challenge that's still being debated today. Father Timothy Graff is director of the Office of Human Concerns for the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey, across the Hudson from sparkling Manhattan. It's the contrasts he worries about as he shifts his gaze from the city skyline to the poor neighborhoods in Newark that he serves every day. I think what FDR was saying is he's saying, what's your attitude? What is the attitude of the country? But what is the attitude of each citizen? So he's really calling for a widening of the vision. And I see so much both individually and as a country where we're lessening our vision. We're making it narrower rather than the wider, I just think FDR was, was asking the country to look at. And poverty is more of a problem today than it was then. It is. You know, I, I talk to people every day. You know, they talk about the economic rebound that we had. Well, I'm sure it, some people rebounded, but it hasn't on most. In the tough economic times we find ourselves, when we're looking at government programs, we're looking at the budget. The budget is a moral document. You know, our budget, our numbers, our money, that's where we show our priorities. Are we trying to balance the budget on the backs of the poor. Don't demonize the poor, which I, is so often happens within the electoral process. You know, everyone needs to have another. You know, well, it's those people over there. And it could be the poor, it could be immigrants, it could be women, it could be whoever. If those people didn't take my money, then we'd be okay. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think you can articulate what is a freedom from want? I feel as though we haven't really come to grips with what is a comfortable sort of floor from which to build a society. Well, I think what it's not is that which the federal government says is a living Mm -hmm. reality. It just doesn't work. How is it that a person or a family can live in a way in which they're not worrying about whether the next thing that comes down the pike will put them on the street? They're looking for decent, affordable housing. Uh, which again is is very difficult in this area of the Northeast where we are for a myriad of different reasons. They're looking for food security, meaning basically do I have enough at the end of the month to feed my family? They're looking for decent education. They're looking for a decent job with a living wage. Pope Francis, who's a great friend of, of the poor, has talked about a living wage. We've talked about that since actually 1890 in, in uh, the documents from the popes. So I think those are the basics. And basically what we're – what people are looking for is they're looking for a sense of security. So our society should be constructed as a means to have some kind of job, mm-hmm. a connection to the community, which pays enough so that my family will have food security and health care. And from that point on, it's up to me – to do more than that. We're dealing with really two different populations at times. There's a a part of our population that's going to be chronically unemployable because of disabilities, because of age, because of other issues that they deal with. They're simply not going to fit into the economy. They just can't work for whatever reasons. And then you're going to have people who are chronically underemployed. And the chronically underemployed are those who are working one, two, three jobs. And they're, they're still barely if getting by. You know? And so really what the safety net that we would talk about would be providing for those who are in need, unemployment insurance. You know, and what we're seeing uh, both federally and within states is those being drawn back more and more and more. You know, we're seeing within so many of our own parishes and our own Catholic charities, less people come into the soup kitchens and to our food pantries. It's more. We say that with the economic downturn of six, seven years ago, the face of poverty changed literally. You know, it's much more suburban. It's much more rural than it was 10 years ago. Uh, I remember as I was at a meeting with leaders of our food pantries within our parishes, my archdiocese, and so I was meeting with them and I said, is there a change that you've seen in terms of upkick? And some people said, oh, yes, it's between 35 and 45 percent more people looking for food, food assistance, food security. And so one guy said, oh, no, we haven't seen anything. We're fine. And the guy next to him started laughing. And so the guy said, why are you laughing? He goes, all the people from your parish are coming to my food pantry because I'm next door. Hmm. And they're embarrassed to come because they know the people from the parish at your food pantry. You know, the idea that you will come into a food pantry and not feel as though, boy, I'm sure glad this is here, mm-hmm. but will instead feel as though you're being caught committing a crime. Yes. That How does that change? Because in some sense, these institutions should be part of the freedom from want. Well, one of the great things about our food pantries What we're always saying to people is, remember the people that you serve are your brothers and sisters. 
that whole idea of solidarity, the whole idea of brotherhood and sisterhood, that we're all in this together. But what it is, is how do we treat those who come to us? You know, I, we had a, a food drive many years ago in the parishes I was in, and so we were collecting money and groceries outside one of the local uh, supermarkets. And this guy comes by and he gives us the smallest can of corn you'd ever want to see. He says, I just want to thank you for being here. Last year, I was unemployed and I had addiction problems and I came to your food pantry and you helped me. He said, I just needed a couple months help till I got my act back together. I got a job. He says, it's not a great job. I'd like to give you more food, but I can't. All I can give you is this can of corn. That's all I have this week. Maybe next week I can give you more. But what it showed me was, you know, we're all in this together. Why do we have soup kitchens? Why do we have food pantries? Coming from the, a Catholic tradition, we're serving them because in them we see God. How do you show your love for God? You love your neighbor. We don't serve them because they're Catholic. We serve them because we're Catholic. This is what our faith calls us to do. So we all struggle to figure out what this freedom from want is. Mm -hmm. And especially in an electoral cycle where one of the temptations that's faced is we demonize the poor. The poor are lazy. The poor don't deserve our help. One of the, the things we often do when, especially when we're bringing young people to a soup kitchen, we did this a, a couple weeks ago in, in my parish. We went to a, a local soup kitchen. And so we had some of our, our teenagers. And so we put them up front. We have them serve. And then we talk about it afterwards. What they see is all of a sudden the poor are not a statistic. They're not a problem. Mm. The person I gave some chicken to. We had a, a group in from somewhere in the Midwest and they were working at one of our shelters for single mothers. And these were, are women who, had been, who would be four months pregnant and living in a park if we didn't have the shelter for them. Women who've been on the streets, they're tough. They've had to be tough to survive and they find themselves five months pregnant. And so I, I dropped them off in the morning, so I was coming back for lunch. And I hear the, uh, this uproarious laughter from the dining room. And I walk in, and the, the pregnant homeless women and the 14-year-old kids from the Midwest living on a dairy farm are telling each other jokes. Hmm. And all of a sudden, all those barriers, all those separations, all those things that would separate these people are broken down. Why? Simply because they had a meal together. Simply because all of a sudden it wasn't a statistic, it was Mary. And one of the great phrases that Pope Francis uses again and again and again is we need an encounter. In our faith, we encounter God through prayer and all those things, but we also encounter God in the poor. You know, there's no separation. We're all in this together. I think it's basically the, the hope that FDR had, the truth of dignity is the same for each person. Mm. Father Timothy Graff, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Father Timothy Graff is director of the Office of Human Concerns for the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey. Seventy-five years after President Roosevelt laid out his vision for a world free from want, many of you are reporting a reality full of wants, needs, and sacrifices right here at home, New Orleans. I grew up in New York City in the 70s recession. My carpenter father was unemployed for months. I never felt I went without because I was raised to be thankful for food, shelter, hand-me-downs, and love and not ask for more. Greenville, South Carolina. We're doing it now. Meat's a luxury we can rarely afford, so we're learning how to be involuntary vegetarians. Hi, this is Roxanne Fucci from Atlanta, and uh, 
wow, like the last seven years, how hard can a person work and still struggle monthly to pay the mortgage? We used to have vacations, cable, eating out on nights, I didn't feel like cooking. People who still have those luxuries really don't understand. They say, just work harder. I'm just over 50 and I'm quite tired. I can't give anymore. The American dream is an illusion. Worcester, Massachusetts. I had to minimize expenses during medical school. I didn't have a phone for a year, and I didn't have my own television for four years. From Deland, Florida, I had to sleep in my car for a while with my dogs. Unpleasant. And coming up next, with 1.3 billion people and an average annual wage of less than $4,800, the Chinese know a thing or two about going without. We'll talk with a Chinese labor organizer about growing worker unrest in the so-called People's Republic. People who want more in China aren't afraid to say it. The Takeaway is supported by TIAA. Whether it's investing, advice, banking, or retirement, TIAA is committed to helping those who do good do well. Learn more at TIAA.org. And Staples, offering tools for small business, including color copies and presentations, booklets and manuals, and custom frame prints and posters. Designed and printed in-store or ordered online at staples.com. Staples, make more happen. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.